This your boy Savon checking in with the Live Room Podcast. And I got a brand new episode for y'all, the people, for the culture. And I got a special guest checking in with me via Zoom. And I'm telling you, this lady's incredible. She's a pioneer in the book world. And she's given us classics such as the Sets Chronicles, such as Ladies of the APF, such as uh, Addicted, and many more. I mean, many, many more. I'm talking about Zane. And I want y'all to lock in with me and check out what we have to talk about because we have a lot to unpack in this episode. I appreciate y'all for keeping it locked with me. All right. All right. Coming live from the Living Room Podcast, I have special guest author Zane right here. So thank you for joining me in the Living Room. I greatly appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's more than a pleasure, more than a pleasure. You definitely pioneered a genre for uh, for fiction novels, man. The the, um, the the erotic novels and everything is like you you are the the master of it. You just you set the you set the standard for so many authors in that genre of today. Oh, thank and, you. Um, it's so much to unpack with you here. My first question I want to get into with you: um, How did you get into the whole? writing these type of uh, novels you know you know the funny thing is I had never read erotica and when I started writing I just write, started writing stories and I just didn't tone down the sexuality part I didn't know that that was a thing <laughs> so um, I kind of fell into it I didn't really choose erotica erotica chose me and a lot of my stuff I wouldn't even consider erotic like the majority of my books like I wouldn't even consider them erotica the sex chronicles and some of the anthologies, yeah, but my novels, I don't really even consider them a, to be erotic. But the sex scenes are off the chain, but everything, but to me, everything's off the chain. I mean, I'm very detailed. I'm just a very detailed writer. Yeah, because you have classic books, the sex chronicles, <laughs> the sisters of APF, you know, and it's tons and tons of galore from that. And, you know, for for years and years, you know, people could not put a face to it. You were very, you were very good of just having this mystique behind the name Zane. They couldn't figure out if it was a woman or if it was a man writing the books. And, um, you know, slowly but surely you started to make your appearance and everything. How did that come about? Well, because it became such a big deal. People trying to figure out who I was, people pretending to be me. That was the biggest thing. I had a lot of imposters. And I knew the only way to get rid of imposters for, was for me to kind of come out. That way people, but actually people still continue to pretend to be me for a long time. Oh, wow. Even though I, you know, had put myself out there. But that was the main reason was because there were a lot of people pretending to be me. I even ran into myself in Jamaica. Oh. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, those books, you know, when you start writing, I was a child. So mm-hmm. I was reading the books. But I'm aware of them. I know women even today that still read your books or look at your uh, programs and everything. And you are very detailed with your with your type of writing. And where is that sense of inspiration to come from to make those type of to to author those type of books? Hmm. You know, again, it's not that I was inspired to write those type of books. It's just that I just write what I feel. Uh, I have written other types of books. I'm currently writing a book that is not erotic. Um, I wrote and directed a movie in January that's not erotic. 
Um, but it has sex scenes in it, but it's not erotic. It has grandparents and kids and babies and all that stuff in it. So I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm inspired. I was inspired to write a certain type of book. I just write what I feel. And, you know, some of it deals heavy on sexuality. Some of it deals heavy on abuse. Some of it deals with, you know, generational curses of mental illness and families. It can deal with a lot of different things. I just write what I'm really feeling at the time. But I don't tone down the sex because in real life, that's when people are like the most alive, kind of pretty much. You know, that's when their heart beats the fastest and when they, you know, moan and just feel good and stuff. So I don't see any reason to turn that off like a faucet when I get to that part of a book. Because with a lot of my books, it could just say, then they had sex and then just go on with the story. Like even with my January movie, I did some clips and the clips are kind of tame as far as the sex. But I shot like something really more intense in case, you know, depending on where it ends up, if a network or a studio or something wants that more intense type of sex, I have that as well. But in the clips, it just shows like, not only say basic sex, but you know what I mean? It's not like all these different positions and breasts hanging out and all that kind of stuff. Right. But if somebody, if that ele- those elements are desired for the movie, then I have it, but it's not making or breaking the movie. You see what I'm saying? The movie is still the movie, even if I don't have all of that intense sexuality in it. And I feel the same way about my books. Definitely, definitely. And um, you definitely pioneered this whole thing. Um, In my opinion, I think uh, to not only be a black woman writer, but in the content of what you were writing in, it was very groundbreaking. And um, is it true that this all started from you just um, sharing writings and um, and little pieces of work on AOL.com with, with friends that's and true. chatting that's groups? True. That's true. I did it for three years before I put out a book. So, and that just grew to you being able to publish books. So it went from you sharing it with friends on AOL or people that were interested to you going into having your own site where you publish this and you were you were personally sending out copies of your work until it grew into what we know of you now, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's so interesting because I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday and he was saying um, how they were talking about Biggie Smalls, like it was a particular rapper and I don't want to get the name wrong. I think I know who it was, but I don't want to, you know, get the name wrong. So but it was a particular rapper that used to hang out around Biggie Smalls before he became big. And, you know, he went to Biggie Smalls place one day and Biggie Smalls was giving out mixtapes, you know, the cassette tape. And there was a line around the block and he was giving away for free. And this rapper was like, what are you doing? You know, why are you giving away your work for free? And he said, because he said to Biggie said, well, if I give away this work for free, it's just going to spread the word and then people are going to, other people are going to pay for it. You know, but people actually would line up to get free mixtapes from him and he would mix them one at a time. They would wait and he would mix the tape, you know, you know, because back then technology wasn't what it was today, but they would wait to get their copy of the tape. You know, the next person would wait to get their copy of the tape and it would be this long line, but look at how big Biggie Smalls became because he did that. So similarly with me, I gave away my work for free for three years so that when I finally put a book out, 
I immediately went on to sell within the first four months more than a quarter of a million copies of the Sex Chronicles, which was unheard of, self-published. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, and it was because I already had built that audience. A lot of people want that instant gratification and think, you know, they're talented if they put something out that everybody's going to buy, but they need to really study how those who are successful really, really made it. And if they really go back and look, they'll see that there's a process. And a lot of it involved not being worried about the money right away, but being worried about building up your brand. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is one of my personal questions I have for you, because with me often being a writer of music and um, just having different ideas, we experience writer's block. And I know for some people, um, they may think, oh, writing about sex is easy. You should never lose content and get writer's block with it. Uh, can you contrast, you know, can you, can you go against that and say, yeah, you have experienced writer's block before with writing this type of content? Because you still have to make it creative and, you know, give it that feeling that brings people towards, you know, digitalizing what you put into words. Have you ever experienced writer's block? Yeah, I've experienced writer's block, but not honestly when it came to writing about sex. To me, the you know, the whole sex thing, it's just sex. You know what I mean? It's like, you, you know, I work, I'm more concerned about creating characters and creating storylines and having people being even concerned or caring somebody's even having sex. I mean, I, th I think that's the biggest thing with a lot of erotic writers. They, like I just got finished reading a book of erotica and well, I was editing it actually. And my whole thing is each story was just jumping into sex. It's like, and it became redundant after a while. It wasn't that the sex was born, but it was like, why do I care that these people are even together in the first place? So when it comes to writer's block, I just suggest to people just write something else. If you get writer's block about one thing, work on something else. But just try to make writing a, a habit. You know, don't, don't break it. Because the, the thing that you might go off and write might end up being something spectacular. Later on, I'll give you a perfect example. My book, Addicted. Addicted started out as a short story that I had, you know, written one day. And I said, you know what? I'm going to set this aside because I think I might want to explore this character more and end up being my most famous book. You know, it hit the New York Times list uh, 15 years apart. It hit it one time, then it hit it again 15 years later, became a major motion picture. When I first, you know, sat that short story aside and just said, oh, you know, I kind of like this character. I'd like to explore it. It had no, I had no prediction of any of that happening. I never even intended on putting out a book when I wrote Addicted. It was just something that was collecting dust on my hard drive. I was entertaining myself. And that's another thing. I think a lot of people too, put too much stress on, weren't worried about what other people are going to think and trying to entertain other people. As a writer, I entertain myself. I don't worry about entertaining other people. It's myself. You know, I started to live and breathe these characters and develop the storyline. And it's almost like some people watch TV and that's their entertainment. My entertainment is just writing. You know, and if I write it, like I've written stuff that nobody has ever seen and never will see, quite frankly, but it entertained me. So I think that's where a lot of people go wrong, stressing too much about how many books they think they're going to sell or who's going to want to read it and all that kind of stuff like that. that. That's to me is, you know, not a good look. Understood. And you, you really did bring up a great point because Addicted is a very, very well well written story and it talks about 
a problem that plagues many women and mm-hmm. you unpack that. And so, you know, people associate the Zane name to, oh, these are sex books or this is erotica, but with your characters, it is stories behind them that are relevant to what women are going through today. And for you to brave, bravely be able to speak that and empower so many women to be able to speak up about that, um, it gives an idea of these characters which you were able to bring to the to the screen, to the big screen. So mm-hmm. Addicted was a successful movie. I see, um, you know, put up what, five, five million to make it and it grossed what, 17 million, is that correct? Around uh-huh. that ballpark? Somewhere around there. That yeah, means so, a lot more since then. Correct. So it's it's a uh, it was it's, it's a success, and you you unpacked many um many people with with stories of such, and um how is it now you know that you have written these these many books and you have came out with the series which I would like to get into as well uh, for the Sets Chronicles and the movie Addicted. Have how how is it for women reaching out to you in any type of way? sharing their stories or you being able to speak with women of, you know, that stories are relevant to the books of you, that you posted. How, does that happen often? Well, that was happening way before I put a book out. Okay. Uh, in 1997, women started emailing me for advice and different stuff like that. And that really hasn't changed. Um, it's still about the same. Yeah. Okay. But um, I do write about things that women can relate to. And a lot of times when I'm deciding to write a book, I kind of think about different things that are going on that I just find interesting trends that I see. Um, Like when I did The Other Side of the Pillow, I noticed a lot of women were very, very bitter (laughs) when it came to men. And a lot of young ladies were emailing me at the time saying they were, you know, giving up on love. They were like in their 20s and talking about they were over it. They weren't ever going to deal with any more men in their whole life and all that stuff. So I thought about, I said, what would happen if I created the ultimate bitter woman? I mean, and in the other side of the pillow, it starts out with her at an open mic night reciting a poem that I wrote called Bitter. (laughs) And I said, what if I take the ultimate bitter woman and make her fall in love? And that's what I did. And because of that, a lot of women emailed me and they're like, you know what, this has made me believe in love again. You know, it, it... A lot of guys, especially even young guys, were like, you know, this has really made me think. And it was a stage play as well. And I remember when it was a stage play, this young guy that was an usher at the theater, he came up to me afterwards. He said, you know, this is really giving me a lot to think about, you know, when it comes to women. But I wanted to write this book about a woman that was extremely bitter. But at the same time, she met a man who refused to give up on her. Like most men ran away from her. I mean, she was pretty, she was educated, she was a school principal, but most men were like, whoa, you know. And I know a lot of women that turn men off by being real negative and talking about how they were mistreated in the past, you know, just immediately going into all that baggage and running men off. But in the other side of the pillow, there was one man that she couldn't run off. And he had been through a lot and, you know, he was more patient because he had been married and had a wife that had a lot of issues and all of that. So he was more patient and he didn't want to cut and run at the first sign of trouble. So my whole thing is what about if there are two mature people who really, instead of saying, oh, I don't care if I don't have a man, I don't care if I don't have a woman, what if they really do want somebody to grow old with? And what if they don't cut and run at the first sign of trouble? Two mature people who are actually discussing the issues instead of, you know, letting the issues control their relationship. 
So they had different people coming in and out, trying to disrupt their life, her roommate, his ex, you know, all these different people tried to ruin their relationship, but they stood strong and they went through everything and they ended up being happy, but they had to go through some stuff. And so that's what I, that was the whole purpose of that, to show, okay, we've all been through some things, but does that really mean, you know, did you don't ever want to deal with anybody ever again? You know, do you really feel that way? Or are you willing to work some stuff out, realizing that nobody's perfect? You know, you're flawed yourself. Let your flaws become your features, but also realize that you're going to have to accept somebody else's flaws. So the key is to find the person whose flaws you can accept. I'm not suggesting you accept everybody's flaws, but find someone whose flaws you can accept, realizing that they're going to have to accept your flaws as well. Like your flaws, if you're clumsy, um, if you, uh, you know, have certain bad habits and stuff, those flaws are part of your features. You know, one of my features is that, you know, I only like to do laundry once a month. I'm just making stuff up. You get what I'm saying. But, right. you know, those flaws are your features. And somebody's going to have to accept your flaws. So you're going to have to learn to accept somebody else's flaws, too. I know I'm going way off track, but. It's fine. You're mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. But, but it makes a sense that it is a passion that you have with creating these characters, these pivotal stories, mm-hmm. um, way beyond the um, the idea of just the erotic, you know, story of it. That's a part of life. That's a part of human right. interaction that's and human relationships. Part of life. But say right. somebody has sex. Say you have, if it's really, really intense lovemaking. Say it lasts an hour. <laughs> what about the other twenty-three hours of the day? Right. I think people get too caught up in that whole thing. Exactly. Some people it may last, it might be really, really good, but it may last 10 minutes. Yeah. What about the other 23 hours and 50 minutes of the day? You know, I think people make too, when you try to make too much out of it, it becomes too much is what I'm saying. Right. And I think, um, you know, when I, when I look back at your story and everything and um, your, your journey throughout writing, it seems as if it probably was made a big deal because you were one of the first to really bring mm-hmm. it to the forefront about it. And so whenever you're a first for anything, it just seems like there's going to be people that love it and there's going to be people that hate it and some people that just don't know how to feel about it. Right. And yeah. so with your books being so detailed and everything, it's kind of like, oh, is it too risque that they would say mm-hmm. or is it too upfront? And I just felt like it was perfect mm-hmm. because these are convers, you know, these stories are no different from conversations that people have in the confines of their own rooms. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And you bringing that to the forefront is like, why not talk about it? Why aren't people comfortable with talking about sex or? Yeah, and I use the real terminology that people really use. Not that, you know, oh, he took out his tool or, mm-hmm. you know, um, the whole trying to mask what, what it is that people really say. It sounds ridiculous when people talk like that in books to me. <laughs> and really, that's what is so much appreciated, especially from the young readers, because, mm-hmm. you know, when they're talking like me, I'm 30 years old. Mm-hmm. When I'm talking to young ladies or I'm talking and, 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 and it's, you know, expressing these things in conversation, we're not masking what we're talking about. Right. We, right. You know, it, it honestly, it doesn't even sound good <laughs> masking it like right. that. So, right. you know, you put it in your writing is 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 you know, very important, and it, it's, it's, it gives a sense of realism as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question as well. Um, you attended HBCUs, 
um, Howard, and uh, you attended two HBCUs, is that correct? Mm -hmm. So when you created the story, ladies of APF, and you from the HBCU environment, you know about stories and everything, did you catch any flack for that book because of what that story was about? No, I didn't. Okay. At least none that I know of. I didn't, yeah. Because that's a, um, that's one of those books I would really want to see a movie of or, or show a motion picture of. Yeah, a lot of people say that, yeah. <laughs> very, very, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the, the book, the story of it all is very interesting. And I was like, now, Addicted was a very good story, you know, that yeah. woman and her problems and what she, what she dealt with and what, how she was torn with her and her, her problem. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the ladies of the APF gives another sense of uh, a type of fantasy as well as um, some realism to that as well. So that being made into a motion picture or a show or something would be great. I mean, to explore that sense of creativity because we haven't seen it, you know, right. at least I haven't. Um, so with that being said, what brought you to bring about uh, bringing Sex Chronicles to a show, you know? Because it was a very successful show on Cinemax. Like, how did yeah. you bring that? Well, you know, it's funny. I've been very, very spoiled. They wanted to do it. Um, I got a call one day asking, could I come to a meeting in New York? I showed up at the meeting at HBO, which owns Cinemax. There really is technically no separate Cinemax. Everybody that works for Cinemax has a main job at HBO, and there's no different building or anything like that. You know, Cinemax is just a division of HBO. So I got there, I had a meeting with the head person um, who said that they had wanted to do a late night urban series and adult series. And they had all read the Sex Chronicles and they wanted to do the Sex Chronicles. And after he met me and we talked and he found out a lot about me, me living a double life and all that kind of stuff, he thought it was funny. And he immediately said, you know, I'd rather the show be about you. And he was a decision maker. <laughs> so um, I left there that day with knowing that I had a situation where I was going to have this show become the first actually African-American woman to have a scripted show based on her real life. There have been a couple since then, but I was the first. And, you know, he decided he wanted me to be the main character of the show. So that's how that came about. And so I agreed to it. Um, we had like... 900 people try out for it. Uh, Patrice Fisher, who played me. I'm sorry, I muted it by mistake. Patrice, Patrice Fisher, who played me on the show. I kind of knew her in passing, you know, just by email and just online. And she reached out to me and we discussed it. And we're still friends. She's actually here in Atlanta. And she really does kind of channel me. Um, and so she was the perfect person to play me. And so it just went on from there. <laughs> and it was about me and some of my friends. And it's funny because a lot of my friends laugh about some of the storyline because they know that I was talking about them. Mm-hmm. And that's how it came about. And so it was about this woman who and her friends. And then I had these erotic vignettes that I wrote and nobody knew that I was Zane, which was true. Because in the beginning, none of my friends and my parents, nobody knew I was Zane. So it just really mirrored my real life. So that's how that started. And then after a couple of years, I decided I didn't want to continue to do a show based on my real life. 
So they came back and said, well, what do you want to do? And I came up with the jump off overnight. And within six months, we were in production of the jump off. So that's how the whole thing came about. Wow. So taking those stories that we were already reading and visualizing, you know, that's what reading stories do. It's like you could visualize exactly what the author is channeling through writings. Right, and actually, for the first season, most of the episodes did feature actual stories from the Sex Chronicles 1 and 2. And the second season, I just made up stories. And the reason why is because we had to do them so quickly, I didn't feel like it was really getting the stories any real justice. So for the second season, all of those were made up. Those weren't from actual books. Okay. Mm -hmm. But to even channel that into a show is like, yes, that's the next step. We would like to see the visuals of it now. And, um, you know, you did the, the show, the jump off. You did Sets Chronicles. You gave us Addicted. Um, another um, thing that you was able to venture off into was the, the Purple Panties, the podcast. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that was sort of different in its right because this is basically audio of this of these stories with these actors um, bringing these characters to life. What gave you the idea for that? Again, I was approached <laughs> and asked uh, that I want to do an erotic scripted podcast. And I said, sure. And mainly because I had never done one. I like challenges. Mm -hmm. um, they asked me what I wanted to do and they kind of wanted to stick in the lesbian and gay area because they had done one with Issa Rae called Fruit, which was about a young um, football player who had to try to embrace and address his, you know, sexuality. And um, so I decided, you know, well, what about Purple Panties? But Purple Panties originally was an anthology of short stories. I just took that title that had kind of made famous and I created the characters in the actual podcast and created the whole podcast. And it was interesting because the script it, um, it was different because I had to put the sounds in as opposed to this person walking across the room, I had to say, you know, glasses clanking together, uh, footsteps, car doors slamming. So that was kind of interesting to write that that way. And so we're more than likely going to do a second season. And the cool thing about that is because we are already painting these mental pictures of whatever you're writing, because um, I'm not too sure, did you try to venture into doing that with your books as far as audio books as well? Most of my books are on audio. I'll okay. probably think I may have maybe two books that aren't on audio, but most of them are on audio. But the difference between that and Purple Panties with audio books is people just reading the actual books. Like I just, within this month, I approved readers for two different books just this month. Um, actually, one of them was Purple Panties. And I'm trying to think what the other book was. I just approved a reader for another book. And I can't even remember what it was. I don't even remember, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but most of my books are already on audio, but it's not like a script. It's just them reading, you know, the actual book. Got it. And as far as moving into the future of any further projects and works, is there any things you could share that you have in the works now? Well, I'm currently working on my next three books. Um, one of them is called My Heart Beats Differently, but that's actually going to be original audio book. Um, the other two books, one of them, I'm just calling right now, another book by Zane. And I might actually keep that title because I kind of like it. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I have a movie that's going to be coming out later on this year. 
called I Wish I Never Met You. And um, I have some other things I'm working on, but those are the main things. That's great. Because, you know, one of the best things, and I've, I've read that you said one of the best things for writers in the genre is to stay consistent. Mm-hmm. And um, it's very important, but you with, with your books, it's so many classic books that you have that I think will be success, or like major successes on like the big screen. Um, is that something you wanted to bring to life with some of your old older stories into, you know, movies? I, because the thing is, like I'm enjoying writing original scripts right now because the thing is converting a book to a script is not as easy as people think, particularly because most of my books are written in first person. And mm-hmm. a lot of it is about what somebody is thinking and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure you've heard people say, oh, the movie wasn't as good as the book right. and all that kind of stuff. I'd rather just write because writing for screen is different than writing a book. And I feel like I can be more entertaining just writing an original script because then I'm not worried about trying to get all the elements in from a book and all that kind of stuff. I'm cognizant of the fact that it's a movie and therefore I can keep the pacing up and uh, everything up you know, in a different format than writing a book. So, I mean, I'm not real, you know, keen on, I feel like I have so much left to write that I'm not real keen on just converting my books to a movie. A lot of writers, they may have one or two books and like, oh, I want my book to be a movie. With me, I literally can sit down and write a movie and that would be my preference as opposed to converting a book to a movie, just to be honest. I mean, I agree some of them would be interesting and stuff, but I think that what I'm writing, original movies are interesting as well. So I'm not really hung up on the whole, you know, this needs to be a movie, that needs to be a movie type of thing. I wrote it as a book. I'm cool with it staying a book. Got it, got it. And I have a young lady that was, that really wanted to join me for this um for this interview, but she couldn't make it. But she wants to get into, you know, the, she wants to write erotic novels. And for any other writers, you know, that may be listening when I when I post the interview, uh, what advice would you have for them with getting into this world of, you know, the genre and writing and everything? Well, I think that one of the main things is develop your characters. I mean, don't focus on the whole sex thing. I mean, I, again, I think that's where people, there's a reason why I've been doing this for 23 years and other people did it for 2.3 years. <laughs> you know, and the reason is, is because my books are about so much more than that. So my suggestion is let that be a part of it. Let it just be something that's detailed, but make sure everything else is detailed. Like, I hope that if people really read my books that, even if it's a scene about somebody cooking something in the kitchen, they can envision it. You know, they can envision, you know, somebody's having a fight, they can envision it. You know, it's, it's, it's about being just a good writer, period. And I think that's the biggest advice I could give someone. Right, 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 appreciate that. Um, as far as the, the world of being an author and writing with the world constantly growing and um, everything going digital and everything, um, did it hurt, um, you know, be able to put these print books out in any way, or is that world still something that's very, very um, still going and alive? Depends on the author. For me, it's still very much alive. I mean, I can still sell a book for anywhere from twenty five ninety five to twenty seven ninety five, which is what my book is. I will admit that it's a struggle overall, though. You know, because a lot of bookstores are closed down. 
Um, so it's hard for a new author to get their books in stores. Um, a lot of the box stores, they don't carry, you know, a lot of books, but for me, it hasn't affected me now. Like when I put out a new book, it's going to be, you know, at Barnes and Noble, it's going to be, you know, books a million, all that kind of stuff. But for other people, um, it has affected it. Yeah. But with eBooks, the good part about eBooks and Kindle books is that it does open an opportunity though for people to have a wider audience in different countries and stuff like that. Like with me, like my books literally had to be picked up by a publisher in Japan. Like by, I have two books, two or three books published by Sony, Sony books in Japan. And it had to be picked up by a Danish publisher and picked up by this person, that person. Now times are changed where, you know, people have an opportunity to be read around the world instead of like when I started, when you literally had to have books printed by other publishers and put on shelves in other places. You get what I'm saying? So it's different now. Like I know somebody sent me a picture one time. They actually asked me to do a book signing in Iraq, believe it or not. But somebody sent me a picture of a commissary in Iraq and I like they had like two shelves of my books. Um, that's not commonplace. So, but the good part is there's an opportunity to be able to be read by people all over because of the fact that of the digital technology and stuff. Definitely. People love your stories, they love the characters, they love the content. And I just want to give you flowers because I feel like out of many writers, um, you were one of the most interesting to me and one of the biggest as far as being the black author to write the type of content that you write that I still feel like you should get so much more credit for the content you put out to the world. Uh, thank you. So it's, it's definitely a pleasure to have you here um, to be able to speak with you in regards to, uh, you know, your talent that you shared with, with the whole world, you know. There was some bad press in the past that I don't even want to get into because I want to be able to give you all the flowers that you can handle right now because, you know. You know what? Bad press, I haven't read any of it. So you would be speaking Greek to me. I haven't read any negative articles about myself. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, um, not in regards to the stories, of course, but it's something mm -hmm. I don't want to delve into with that. But as far as the talent and what it takes in, for you even as a black woman is very big and I think it should be celebrated more. So I definitely um, appreciate you stopping in and speaking with me. If there's anything you would like to tell the world right now or any information you would like to get out there, feel free to, you have the platform right now. Um, I just appreciate all the love and support, even in, in like for my critics, like I get that question all the time from reporters, how do you deal with criticism? My whole answer is I don't. I don't even know what the criticism is. And that's how God's on the truth. I don't. I know who I am. I don't need anybody to tell me anything about myself. And I knew when I did this that there would be, you know, backlash, people coming for me, and all that kind of stuff. And if anybody is going to be a public figure or wants to be a public figure or wants to be a celebrity, they need to know that that's coming and if they look at anybody out here they'll see that every all of us have had you know the drama and you just have to keep it moving that's something you know when you go into this business you know particularly if you're successful people are going to come for you so um that would be just my suggestion have a very thick skin 
you know, ignore the naysayers. Like, honestly, like, even on Amazon, I haven't read my reviews on Amazon in at least 18, 19 years. And you know the reason I haven't read any reviews? I don't read any reviews. When somebody tells me something, like, oh, okay. Or the Library Journal gave you a great review. Oh, okay. You know, so because when I let go of a book, I've let go of it. It's the book that I want it to be. So no matter what anybody else has to say, I don't care. Mm -hmm. It's like the books I'm writing now, it's not like a process where I'm taking a vote on, oh, should I write about this? Oh, what do you think about this? I write my book and I turn it in and the publisher puts it out. You know, and it's the same thing with all my other stuff in my life. If I really was worried about it, what other people would think, I never would have became Zane. I knew when I became Zane that it was going to be controversy. The first article written about me in Publishers Weekly was called Controversy Sales. So I already knew. They knew I knew what I was getting myself into. Controversy Sales. And by me writing about a topic a lot of people are uncomfortable with, I knew that that was, you know, that people were going to come for me. You know, there were bookstores that originally said they would never sell my books. Then by the next year, they were thanking me for keeping their lights on. Literally, thanking me for keeping their lights on. Because nothing else was selling but me. You see what I'm saying? So if I was going to let people try to tell me what to do, I never would have done this in the first place. And just like the stuff I'm doing now, like the movie I did in January, if I was worried about what people would think, I, you know, I wouldn't have never done it. But I know the movie going to come out means that people are going to watch it. But it's the movie I wanted to make. That's why I wrote, produced it, and directed it myself. Because there weren't any other cooks in the kitchen. <laughs> you know what I mean? This was the movie that I wanted to make. So that's, you know, the other advice I give people. The second you get caught up in worrying about what anybody got to say, or getting caught up in negative comments or negative publicity, all stuff, you might as well just go dig your head in the sand. That's why I love Vanessa Williams, the first Black Miss America. I remember when she won, and I knew they were going to come for her. I didn't know how they were going to come for her, but I knew, oh, a Black woman winning Miss America for the first time ever. I saw it coming, and I was very young then. Next thing you know, they were putting out nude photos of her, you know, telling her to give her crown back, you know, all this kind of stuff, trying to embarrass her. But you know what? I'm proud of her because she didn't go dig her head in the sand and never resurface. You see what I'm saying? She took that L. And look at her now. Like, I just watched her in the movie Bad Hair on Hulu the other day. She's still doing her thing. You see what I'm saying? And I'm proud of her for that. Because they tried to destroy her, literally. Just like people have tried to destroy me. You can't be successful and not have people try to destroy you. You know, they will tell their version and stuff. You know, it's not what they call you, it's what you respond to. And I don't feel like I have to explain myself to anybody. Let people, you know, people, because the second you start trying to explain something, it sounds like you're on the defense and that you're trying to hide something. I ain't got nothing to hide. You know, so people still worry about something from six, seven years ago. That's on them. You know, because obviously it couldn't have been everything it was supposed to be because I'm still here. I'm still putting out, I didn't put out a play, a movie, a sex toy line, you know, books, all this other stuff since then. You see what I'm saying? Yes, so that's the advice I can give people. It's like if people want to be caught up, do them. But that's what I'm saying. That's why I love Vanessa Williams and a bunch of other people. You know, same thing. People come for them, came for them, and they just kept it moving. Yeah, they kept it moving. You got one life to live. You can let people run you off, run you off into the sunset somewhere, <laughs> or you can do you. You know. Uh, most definitely.
Yeah. That's great advice. Very great advice. And I'm so happy to be able to speak with you. And I'm looking forward to the future projects you have um, coming. And, um, you know, I'm still going to be, I'm still going to be, you know, checking in for what you have in store. So I greatly appreciate you speaking with me here at the Living Room Podcast. Thanks for having me. All right. And that, that movie um, that you're speaking of, when should we be expecting that to come out? Hopefully by Christmas. It's called I Wish I Never Met You. Okay. And, um, it should be what through a digital uh through a digital platform or something as a yeah i'm probably gonna throw it on amazon to be honest with you like i have a lot of studios and networks that are interested in it but i'm not going into six eight months of contract and negotiations and you know then them deciding when it's coming on and all that kind of stuff. i just put it like i self-published my own books i'll put it up myself i'm not looking for it in other words it's interesting because i'm not looking for a deal for the movie but everybody's trying to give me a deal for the movie but I never said I was, it's just like when I put my first book out, I wasn't looking for a deal for no book. I put it out myself. <laughs> so it's the same situation. I'm not really interested in it. I could get a deal for it, but I'm not interested in the deal for it. Got it. So you got, you got the new movie, you got the new stories coming in a sex toy line. Is that something that's still going as well? No, nah, I kill that out. It was hot though, but now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you, Zane. I really appreciate you. All right, thank you. All right, now. Bye now. Bye bye. I appreciate y'all checking in with me here at the Living Room Podcast, where I keep the brand new content coming for y'all, the people, for the culture. A special thanks to Zane, man. Y'all stay on the lookout for our future projects, books, movies, all of that good stuff. And make sure you lock in with me on IG at Jashad904. That's J-A-S-H-A-A-D-904. And that's the same on Twitter. And make sure you follow the Living Room on Facebook. And, you know, like comment and all that man just drop your thoughts about the episodes and i'll keep the content coming for y'all so just remember before you come in the living room take your shoes off